0: starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us understand your word and that you would encourage us, that you would rebuke us, that you would teach us, that you would correct us. We are just so thankful for your word that's living and active, and we are so thankful for the Holy Spirit that illuminates us to your word. So we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit that you sent to us to help us to understand your word would do just that this morning. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapters 1 through 3, what we saw was Paul peeling back the layers to the mystery of the Gospel. We see him start off with explaining these spiritual blessings that have been poured out on us. All spiritual blessings, Paul says. That before the foundation of the world, the Father predestined to adopt you to sonship or daughtership. Then that Jesus was sent to redeem you and purchase you back, and that the Spirit is sent to seal you and keep you and what we sung earlier hold you fast. Immediately after that, though, and it should be no surprise, Paul goes into a prayer of understanding that we would gain more understanding and greater insight into these spiritual blessings. And and just in case if anyone's still confused, in chapter 2, Paul then follows this up with an understanding of what salvation really looks like. We were dead in our sins, but in God's great love and mercy, Jesus came and died for our sins. This is the free gift of salvation Paul says. This isn't a work of our own. It's a gift. And then right on the heels of that, Paul makes sure that his Jewish and Gentile readers know that they have been made one. That believe it or not, the gospel actually unites us together. All of us who trust in Christ. You know, like the super-duper cool ones, and the really crazy ones, and the really strange ones. A friend of mine used to say, if you don't know which one you're in, you're probably the strange one. And then Paul speaks to the gift that he was given to go and proclaim the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles and asks God that the Gentiles, that this church would experience more of God's power, love, and that they would experience more spiritual maturity. So why do I go through the trouble of mentioning all of this to you? What's the deal here? Why is this worth saying? Why is it worth recapping? Because right gospel doctrine, and that's what we see in chapters 1 through 3, we see gospel doctrine. Right gospel doctrine always leads to gospel living. And this gospel living is what Paul is after in chapters 4 through 6. This is what we see in the second half of this letter is how the gospel shapes our lives. Gospel doctrine leads to gospel living. Now, what I mean by right gospel doctrine isn't this, like, this, uh, it's not like some stuffy understanding of the gospel. It's not this memorization and then regurgitation of facts and truths. That's not what right gospel doctrine is. This is the Holy Spirit illuminating your understanding of the work of Jesus for you. Being spiritually dead in sin, and then spiritually made alive in Christ. It's the... the the lights to God's salvation plan, they were off. They weren't even dim. It wasn't like there was a dimmer. It was that they they were burnt out. Off. Completely dark. And the Holy Spirit comes in. He flips the switch on. And you see the beauty of Christ. What this leads to is this gospel living. Right gospel doctrine leads to gospel living. And this is what we've seen so far. Because immediately after chapter 3, Paul goes into the gospel living. Walk worthy of the calling that you've been called to. And let that walking worthy be motivated by God. Let me try to say it like this for us. Paul wants his readers to know that we aren't to talk a good game. Born-again Christians are to walk the walk. Believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior leads to action. It leads to walking worthy of your calling. It leads to a life that is shaped by the Gospel. And what we're going to see a little bit today, and as we continue on in this next half of Ephesians, is that a a life that is shaped by the gospel leads to the church being built up. It leads to the people of the church being built up. It doesn't lead to being torn down. Gospel doctrine leads to gospel living. And Paul, this morning, he's giving us no excuse to not participate in this. Because what we will see today is that the gifts given to Christ for his victory, he gives back to us. The gifts given to Christ for his victory, he gives to his people. And yet, even when the lights come on, and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and to believe and to trust and even when the lights have been on for a while we just we as humans just have a painstaking hard time believing that we've been given gifts or given a gift and then living out in mind that we've been given a gift so now we use this gift. Why? Because our sin is just so great at helping us to find reasons and excuses to not worship Christ through our gift. I just don't know enough. Really, God? This gift? This is lame. What I've been gifted in just can't possibly help the church at all. I've sinned way too much to be given any gift from God to help build up any church on this planet. I'm already committed to so much throughout the week. I've served the church long enough Now it's somebody else's turn too. Isn't this why they pay the pastor? Shouldn't he be taking care of all of these things? The gifts given to Christ for his victory, he gives to his people. And he gives us these gifts to build up his church so that we may grow in the fullness of him. This was part of Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 1. And what we'll see later on in chapter 4, he shows us that's why we are given these gifts. So so here, when we are given these gifts and then we refuse or, or we make excuses or look, let's just be honest, when we're just plain lazy, what's happening, it's not an obedience problem, it's actually a worship problem. What's happening is we aren't worshiping God like we should. So, So let's look in our passage and see why this is. Why was Christ given gifts? When he ascended on high, and he led out a host of captives, he was given gifts. Now, how do we know this? Paul here is quoting Psalm 68. Verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68 that Paul is actually adapting. He's adapting and trying to make a connection for his readers. He's not changing the psalm. He's helping them see a connection that's going on here in light of Christ. In Psalm 68, Psalm 68 is a celebration psalm. It celebrates God's faithfulness of taking the Israelites out of being captives to Egypt through wandering in the wilderness and then bringing them to the promised land. And what happens in Psalm 68 is we see that the people give gifts. So God leads out a host of captives and the people give gifts. Gifts. So what's this connection that Paul is trying to, to make here of Christ leading out a host of captives? Well, Paul, he, he alludes to this in verses 9 through 10. Let me read that for us. In, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. We have a lot of uh, ascension and dissension going on here. So, if I were to take a ball in my hand, there there would need to be a starting place for the ball. The ball would be in a descended place. And for it to ascend, I would have to throw it up and it would ascend up. But Paul here, he's not making this argument. He's saying that the thing that ascended up has to actually descend down. So instead of taking the ball, resting it on my hand, and throwing it up so it can ascend, it would be more like taking a ball, throwing it down on the ground, so it descends down, and then it bounces back up and ascends up. This is what's taking place here. The one who led a host of captives out and has given gifts to men is the one who descended and then ascended. There's a lot of ascension and dissension going on here. What Paul here is talking about is the doctrine of the incarnation. J.I. Packer has a great quote on the incarnation from his book, Knowing God. If you've never read that, this, this book uh, was the first theology book that I, have, that I ever read and I haven't stopped reading theology books since. And one of the reasons why is because I'm such a simple person and he writes in such a simple way, it made theology so practical and understandable. Listen to what he has to say about uh, the incarnation I I wish this was what I said, but this is what he said. J.I. Packer says, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The boyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the Incarnation. God became flesh as a little baby who had to be nursed by his mother, the Almighty God. This is incredible. God descended, or or he comes down and dwells with us, and it's during this time that he does the most unthinkable for mankind. He leads them out of captivity. Or or let's read what Paul says in Philippians, because I think this is a, a helpful passage when we're talking about or trying to understand the incarnation. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, here it is. God was ascended above all. He then descends and comes down. He robes himself with human flesh. He's obedient in every way possible that we weren't able to be obedient in, even to the point of being sacrificed for us. And when he rose again, he is then exalted. He is lifted up or ascended up and he is seated on the throne. We're seeing this in our passage, aren't we? And he does this. He does this to lead out a host of captives. He descends. He he comes in the flesh to lead out a host of captives. We're the host of captives that he leads out. You're the you're you're part of that. You're a captive. You were held captive. I was held captive by sin, by death. In this psalm in verse eight, that Paul is quoting, the psalmist is remembering how God led Israel out of being captives or slaves to the Egyptians through the wilderness into the promised land. And the connection that Paul is making here for his readers is that Jesus comes. He frees us from being captives to sin. He frees us from being slaves to sin. And then he leads us wandering in the wilderness that we call this just crazy, crazy world that we live in. And he will bring us to the promised land. And this freedom that we're talking about, it's being led out of captivity that we're talking about, guys, this doesn't come at what we can do you aren't led out of captivity because God was looking and picking and choosing the most impressive people to be on his team that he could lead out of captivity. We're led out of captivity because of what Jesus has done. The scriptures tell us that Jesus willingly laid down his life to free us from sin. So let me put it like this. When we trust in Jesus, when we turn to Jesus and trust in him, All of your sin that has ever brought you shame, regret, remorse, guilt, condemnation, hurt, you're freed from. He died. To free you from that, he died to free you from sin. And when he ascended in victory, Jesus received all gifts that could possibly be given to him. He puts it like this this is what he tells his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. (laughs) I mean, I just wish I could comprehend what that all authority in heaven and on earth means. (laughs) So does that mean like all authority, like over the animals too? Like if God really wanted to, if I were to, to go hunting, then he could he could have a huge, massive buck and a huge, massive wolf just dancing and playing together. Does that is that what all authority means? I, I think so. I think that's what it encompasses. Does it mean that if I ever wanted to go to space and not wear a spacesuit that I could do that? I guess if he wanted me to do it, I could. All authority in heaven and on earth. And what does Jesus then do with these gifts that he was given, this authority that he was given? Does he just kind of like hide it? Does he put it in a safe, in a vault and lock it up? and bury it in some random place in Greenville, Wisconsin where nobody would ever find? Does he put it on display in such a way where it shows everyone, where he he brags about it? You, You know what I'm talking about, right? A trophy case of some sort. To show just how impressive he is. Is that what he does with it? Our passage tells us that he actually distributes these gifts. He receives these gifts through his victory, and then he distributes these gifts. You see what Jesus has done? So he conquers sin and death, he ascends victoriously, he receives these gifts, and then he distributes these gifts to his people. This is why when we aren't using the gift that we've been given to help build up the church and help each other into the fullness of Christ, it's a worship problem. It's a worship problem in two ways. It's first a worship problem because you don't actually believe that Jesus has then given you a gift. But more tragically, what happens? At the root of it, deep in your heart what's really occurring is you don't believe that Christ is victorious. You don't believe that he's actually received all these gifts and then is able to distribute them. So the heart problem really is is that you don't believe that Christ has ascended victoriously. But our passage here tells us Christ has ascended, he is victorious, And we have been given a gift from Christ. It says this, doesn't it? Like it. This says it says it in our passage. But grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's verse seven. And we see in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here we have a, a dual meaning. Because some people will land really strongly in one side and others in another side. So the two sides of this is, well, he's just talking about the gift of salvation. That's all he's talking about. And others will say, well, no, he's just talking about gifts to build up the church. I think what Paul is trying to communicate here is a dual meaning. He's trying to communicate both. He's trying to let his readers know that you've been given the gift of grace. You've been given the gift of salvation. And and we could even, but grace was given, we could even uh, change that word gift. Grace gift. But I, I think what he's telling us and what he's telling his readers is that you have been given the free gift of God's grace. On top of that, You have been given gifts to build up the church. Christ is victorious. He's led you out and now you have a gift to help each other to build one another up into the fullness of Christ. Why would I say this? When Christ ascended, what happened? When when Christ ascended, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. These gifts were distributed. Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. To help the church, to comfort the church. So when Christ ascends, He's victorious, He pours out the Spirit upon the church to help build the church up. You know, I was when I was in my office and I was when I was thinking through this, it just I, I had I love it when God does this. I just had this this thought or this realization. I mean, what's happening again is what happened in Genesis. God creates all things and what does he do? He then creates Adam and Eve to steward and to build and to cultivate his kingdom up. And now what happens when the church is birthed and Jesus ascends, Christ sends the Spirit to gift his people, to help build and cultivate the kingdom and multiply it. Let me tell you a story that maybe you're familiar with. It's about the parable of the talents. Let me just try to modernize it a little bit for us this morning. It's like there's a businessman who goes up to a woman and gives her $100,000 and says, I want you to try to do everything you can to invest in the business and help multiply and spread it. And then he goes up to another man, he goes up to to a man and and he gives him $50,000 and says, I want you to do what you can with this money to help multiply my business. And then he goes up to uh, one more man and, and he says, I'm going to give you $25,000 and I want you to do what you can to multiply my, uh, my business. And so he leaves for two months. They don't know when he's coming back, but he knows I'm going to come back in two months. And the woman, she goes and she invests it and she makes double the profit. She expands his business and makes double the profit. The, the, the man who received 50000 does the same thing. Earns another 50000 and expands the business. But the last man, or the man who received 25000 was way too afraid to mess this up. He just was like, I just... I know that this guy is harsh. I know that he is a serious businessman. If I lose this money, he's not going to take it lightly. Um, and so I'm just, I'm not going to eat, I'm going I'm to make sure the, the only person I trust is myself. So I'm going to take it home and, and put it underneath my mattress. And so the businessman comes back and he asks the woman, What did you do? And she said, Here, I, I multiplied your business and I uh, doubled the profit. And he says, great job. Here's more. Way to use your gifting and your wiring to multiply what I gave you. And then the second one, the same thing. And he says, thank you. Way to use your gift to multiply what I've given you. And and the third one, and this is the interesting thing. I just wish we knew what would have happened. This is one of those passages or, or stories that I'd love to ask God one day. What if the guy would have lost all of that money? What would have happened? If he just would have taken that chance and he still lost it, would would the owner have still responded the same way? I don't know. It's just one of those things that I'm curious about. One day when we're in heaven, I'm gonna ask that question. But he doesn't do anything with it. He goes to his mattress. He lifts up his mattress. He brings him the $25,000 and the boss says, why, why didn't you even invest it? If you would have put it in a savings account, at least it would have inquired interest. You should have put it in savings of some sort. And he takes it away and he, he gives it to the one who, who, uh, who had $100,000. Jesus is encouraging his disciples here to use their gifts to multiply the kingdom. This is is what Paul, as he is moving forward to the gospel living portion of this passage is encouraging his readers to do. Use your gifts to multiply the kingdom and build up the church. I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but next week, what we will see is that some people receive particular leadership gifts to help people in the congregation to grow in their gifts that God has given them. But for now, what I just—I just so desperately—and I've been praying for this throughout the week. I just want you guys to know is that upon your profession of, of faith in Christ, you've received the free gift of salvation. But you've also received a particular, Christ, a particular gift from Christ himself to help build up the church. You, Kim. Kathy, you've received a specific gift. Mary Ellen, you have. Drew, you have. You've received a particular gift to build up the church so that we all would grow in the fullness of Christ. What this means is that God wants to use you so that He he may fill all things. Or, or what we could say is so that his glory would be on display for all. And right now, there might be a few thoughts going through your mind. I've just caused way too much damage. I've caused too much damage, there's no going back. I'm way too introverted for this. I don't even have a high school degree. My past keeps on chasing me and telling me there's no way that I could ever be used by God. I hear what you're saying, Max. I am just way too afraid to take a chance. hold up, just wait a second, (laughs) I didn't sign up for this, this is not what I signed up for, thank you, but no thank you, I am pretty comfortable participating with how I'm participating right now. And so I'm going to put on my Wisconsin nice face and say, thank you so much for the offer, Max, but I am really fine with keeping Jesus at an arm's length right now. I'm just pretty comfortable right now. Life is going so well, and I just don't want to complicate it. let me just say this. Those are lies from the devil or from yourself to keep you from worshiping God. You have been given a gift by Christ. Does Scripture not tell us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I just couldn't help but ask the question to myself preparing for this passage, what if Paul would have bought into this lie? My past just keeps on chasing me. Nobody would want to ever listen to me. Even the Gentiles wouldn't want to listen to me. I was locking up Christians, and and I was throwing them in jail, and I was persecuting them, nobody's going to want to listen to me. I can't, I'm not good at speaking. I'm way too intimidated by these groups of people. I'd rather just be in my home reading some type of scroll writing some type of law. But he didn't buy into the lies. He trusted in Christ. He worshipped God. So, okay, what are these gifts? We're going to wrap up soon here. But what are these gifts? Now, I don't think that we're actually given an exhaustive list. But we do see Paul writing about specific spiritual giftings to two churches. The Romans and the Corinthians. And within each context of these giftings, he is talking about how the church is one body with many members and each member has a specific gifting to help the body function. You have been given a gift to help the body function. So, what are some of these things that Paul mentions in, to the Romans? He mentions uh, gifts like prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leading, acts of mercy. These are just some gifts that you may have. Paul also mentions a few in 1 Corinthians. Wisdom knowledge faith healing miracles speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues so how should we view the gifts then we're given we view them as a way to worship god and build up the church so so if you're the type of person who is prone to serving then serve in such a way to worship God and build up his church. If if you have been gifted with knowledge or if you've been gifted with wisdom, use it in such a way where you are able to worship God and build up the church. So how should we live? In, In light of what we've just looked at, how should we live let me let me finish with just uh, an illustration and then um uh, probably a very disappointing uh three applications <laughs> i have played so many uh sports in my life i've watched a lot and What I have noticed over the years is a healthy team usually has three key ingredients. And I would actually say that a a church would have these two. What I've noticed is that a healthy team, a sports team, has a few good leaders with integrity and character. The team, together, has a determination to get better every single day and they buy into their specific gift or their specific role for the team. So I've seen this in basketball because that's what I played a lot so much, is you have one person who is gifted at shooting the ball and another person who is gifted at defense. The coach normally doesn't ask the defender to take a thousand shots in a game. He says, what I want you to do is be as good on defense as you possibly can. And when you get the open shot, take the open shot. Don't just not shoot the ball, but shoot the ball when you can. But I want you to be the best defender that you can possibly be. And he says that to the shooter as well. You need to play defense, but I want you to be the best shooter that you can possibly be. think when a church is on a trajectory of health, we see a few leaders who have integrity and character. The church is determined every single day to continue to walk worthy of the calling with which they've been called to. And the church knows the giftings that God has gifted them with and they buy into it. So, Okay, how can I know my gifting? Here's, here, here's the, the disappointing application. I am in no position right now to say, this is what you're gifted in, this is what you're gifted in, this is what you're gifted in. So, first pray and ask God to help you understand what your gifting is. Ask him. Ask him. Plead with him. Lord, I want to help build up your church. How have you gifted me to help worship you and build up your church? Second, that's one finger. Second, reflect where there's fruit. Take time to reflect and see where there is fruit in what you are doing. Is there fruit in your ministry of serving? Is there fruit in ministry of your wisdom? Is there fruit in your ministry of faith? Reflect and ask the question to yourself, where has there been fruit? And then third, ask where there is fruit. Because what I've noticed, and I see this in myself, so this is a self-reflection here, is it is easy at times to reflect and to look at what somebody else is doing and see the fruit in their ministry or their life and say, that's awesome. That's how God's going to use me too to bear fruit. And so then we deceive ourselves into wanting to Play a role that we haven't necessarily been called to, or want to have a gift that we aren't necessarily called to have. It would be like a finger saying, Boy, I wish I was a nose. The nose, it gets to smell things. It would be just so better to be a nose. And then it tries to go off and be a nose, and then it's a terrible nose because it can't smell anything. God didn't create the finger to be a nose. He created it to be a finger to pick things up. So ask where there's fruit. Pray, reflect, and ask. I just... I just can't imagine how much we would be built up into the fullness of Christ if we took time to pray, to, to reflect, and to ask what our giftings are that Christ has given us to help build up his church. I mean, that, I don't know about you guys, that makes me excited. It makes me excited that Christ has given you a gift to use to worship God and build up the church and it makes me excited that he's given me a gift to do that. what would it look like? Oh man, we'd have some fun here. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help show us how you have gifted us to worship you and build up your kingdom. There is no greater task and no more enjoyable one than that. So help us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.